Okay, here's the deal. I wanted to show what went on in the world around the time Moses was born. A lot of stuff. So I'll just sort of go through this. I know it's hard to see. Um, I, I, if I wasn't so lazy, I would have made it on two or three different slides. But I really didn't know it would be that hard to see. So let's look at it right here. Um, it's during the time of the Hurrian conquest. You see that right there? The Hurrian uh, conquests, that's, um, that would be like uh, <coughs> southern Turkey moving down toward uh, Iraq, I guess. Let me skip on down a little. This is kind of interesting. In that time frame, the creation of one of the oldest surviving astronomical documents, a copy which was found in the Babylonian library of Ashurbanipal. It was a 21-year record of the appearance of Venus. The early Babylonians called Venus Nindarana. It's known as the Venus Tablet of Amasadwa. Rubber balls were invented during this time. <laughs> what a great thing. Uh, somewhere around what's known as India today. Uh, the early Mycenaean culture, that's part of what would become Greece. Um, here in the Czech Republic, uh, the Unetis culture was... Uh, was really, for what it was, the, the, it was a small concentration of population, but it was, for that day, it was advanced. It was during the Bronze Age. The windmill was developed in, uh, in uh, Persia. The Hittites defeated the Babylonians uh, under Marcellus I. Now, the Hittites, this was an empire in a very large empire across the Anatolian region of uh, Turkey, what is now Turkey, southern, southern region. The Hittites during that time were, were very powerful. Uh, as a matter of fact, they, if, you, if you study the 300 or so year history of that time, general time frame, uh, you'll see that, as I recall, they even defeated Egypt a couple of times. Um, so it's a very powerful, a very powerful uh, kingdom. They also were prominent during this time in developing iron. Uh, the ruling Amorite uh, king was overthrown. The dynasty in Syria. The Amorites had, up to that point, had a very powerful dynasty. But like kingdoms are, they they come and go. Uh, Knossos was a place that is part of Greece today. Um, all of these dynasties, they swiftly came and went in Egypt uh, during the 1500s BC, the 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th dynasties all flew by during that time. Cecrops I uh, rebuilt the city of Athens following a great flood. 
it was what is known as the end of the golden age of uh, that part of the world. The Shang Dynasty was established in China, which is also known as the Yin Dynasty. Um, the city of Massenet, that's part of Greece, uh, came to dominate the rest of Achaia, of Achaia in that part of the world. Uh, let's see. The flood. Okay. Um, Egypt began its conquering of Nubia, which is a part of the world a little south of Egypt, and the Levant. The Levant is that area that includes what would become Israel. Uh, you may recall some called them Isis and some called them ISIL. Uh, if they said ISIL, it was, it was more or less accredited to people who didn't necessarily accept Egypt, I mean Israel, as, being, as that being Israel's home, homeland. So they would call it the Levant, ISIL instead of ISIS. Uh, to tell you really the difference between the two. Um, Queen uh, Hachaput in Egypt was established in her 18th dynasty. Mercury, the element mercury, was discovered in Egypt along in that time and has been found in Egyptian tombs dating back to the 1500s B.C. Um, this was also the time that the Mayan civilization began to develop in uh, Belize, uh, and the Phoenicians began to develop an alphabet uh, during this time. So it was during this time that Moses was born. And here's the point I want to make. All of these, these are big deals. These, this, if, this, if this was the world today, the news would be full of everything here. The slaves in Goshen would have not had a single mention anywhere, especially the people who were there. So here's the world. Is the Word of God taking us to give us all of these accounts of these great and wonderful events that were occurring during that time? I got company coming. Uh, no. He takes us to anonymous people who were anonymous at the time. So God's concentration is on his people. You think, think, think about that today. There are great uh, movements in the world. Something's happening in Venezuela uh, that could turn that part of the world upside down, that could make its way even to where we are. Uh, of course, the, the, the upheaval, upheaval and turmoil in Washington, D.C., um, the, the legislation that is being passed in New York and is being debated even in one of them, the abortion legislation, is being debated in Vermont. 
uh, all of the, the, the world is just flipping upside down and things are changing rapidly uh, all around the world. But if God was writing the Bible today, that's not where God's focus and that's not what, where God's word would be written. That's not, that's not the account that God would give. God would give the account of how he's working through his people, the ones that he's called to himself, so that the kingdom would finally be established according to the word of God. Now, that's, what, that's, that's where we are. So, so I, whenever I think of studying the Old Testament and these, these names of people, even anonymous, and the names that we're going to look at, the people that we're going to look at here, at this point are anonymous. Now, we come, what, over in chapter 6, we'll come to know Moses' mother's name and his father's name, and then the, the sister will come to know her name. Uh, but we don't know. They're, they're just, they're just uh, anonymous people, right? Even the daughter of Pharaoh, she's anonymous. All these people are, are anonymous. Uh, but God is taking us to the birth really a, a miraculous a miraculous deliverance for that little baby Moses. Remember now, they're under a command that all the boy babies will be killed. Isn't it amazing? That's nothing new in the world, is it? It happened in Jesus' day. It happened in Moses' day. I mean, it's, it's just evil at work. So here, it's all the, it's all the little boy babies because Egypt wanted to control uh, the population of Israel and did not want Israel to develop any further as a culture or as a nation. And they would just, I guess, absorb all of the females into their society. And Pharaoh thought he had that power. Of course, he's going to be surprised, I guess. Now, Levi... We know something about Levi. He, he and Simeon killed those guys for ravaging Dinah, their, their, their sister. And then Jacob on his deathbed did not give a good blessing to Levi. And studying Joshua, we come to realize that Levi did not receive a portion. And this was really according to, I guess it goes back to Jacob's deathbed uh, bestowal of blessings Levi did not receive a portion of the land except for certain cities where they could live, but uh, they became the priest, the priestly tribe, as, as you know. Not here, though, not yet. Levi, I think at this point in time, what is he, the grandfather, great-grandfather, I don't know, of, of, of Moses. Um, and his people are living, they're, they're, the people of Levi, you know, they have their own identification at this time among the slaves. By this time, at least two million of them. So we pick it up here in, what is this, chapter 2 and verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as his wife a daughter of Levi. Now you think of all of the hundreds of thousands of Hebrews, of Israelites, in the land of Goshen, living in the worst conditions, enslaved, doing a dirty job that 
that they were forced to do. And we saw last time, they didn't just force them to work. They, they, they meant to be cruel to them. They made it hard. It's not just you're going to do this work and, you know, it wasn't. I mean, they, they, they enjoyed abusing them and mistreating them. It wasn't just slavery. It was, it was horribly abusive uh, slavery um, physically and mentally uh, abusive. So here's this guy, and at this point in time, he's unnamed. He's one among thousands of Levi takes another of the house of Levi as his wife. And they're just two old, poor, meaningless slaves making bricks in the brickyard. And as husband and wife, she conceives. And you can think of her out there in the field, the brickyards, laboring and working like they all were expected to do, women and men alike. And during her pregnancy, probably was semi-dreading the day of the birth, wondering if it would be a boy. Knowing that she was under the mandate of the king, of the pharaoh, to see to it that that boy was killed, a little baby. So she has, she, she's, she's pregnant, she's working. Then she bore the son. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him three months. Now, I've been told that I was so ugly when I was a baby that my mama used to borrow a baby to go to church with. Um, so you wonder, what if this was an ugly baby? I don't know. Ah, he's not a keeper. We'll just let him come and get him. But, but it's interesting the way it's put here. She conceived, bore a son, and when she saw he was beautiful, she hid him. She wanted to hide him. Uh, the word beautiful comes from a Hebrew word that, that means that he has, it's a, it's a very interesting word. It speaks of beautiful eyes, of a beautiful demeanor, just a beautiful child. He didn't have his days and nights mixed, <laughs> mixed up. <laughs> He, uh, he, was just a, he was just a gentle, well-behaved, beautiful-to-look-upon little baby whose eyes would, you could drown in. That's kind of what the word means. She hid him for three months, but when she could no longer hide him, then she took an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with asphalt and pitch. She made it waterproof, put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the bank of the Nile River. Okay. We have an, at this point in time, we have an unnamed man who marries an unnamed woman who are working in a brickyard that is not particularly located. So we don't know exactly where in Egypt, around Cairo, wherever along the Nile those brickyards were. They were, of all people in the world, they would have considered, they would have been to, have to have been considered the most insignificant of people. They're in this awful position now to where she gives birth to a son and she is under the mandate of the king to have that child killed. But she defies 
the kings. As a matter of fact, if you, if, you, if you study Hebrews chapter 11 and you have all of those people who great things are said about them because of their faith, by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such, Moses' parents are mentioned in there. And it says they, they hid him. They def, they, by faith, they defied the king. Would to God that the world was more filled with such of God's people to defy the king. Now, she waterproofs this little ark. The, the same word that's used of, of Noah's ark, but wouldn't have been that big. A basket, sort of an ark. And laid it in the reeds by the bank of the Nile River. Okay. The Nile River is flowing in one direction. So it's kind of on its own, like, like Noah's ark was. It's just whatever, wherever it's going, that's where it's going. It, it wasn't meant for, to do anything except to save the little boy. He's too big now to hide. If he's discovered, he'll be slaughtered immediately. So this little beautiful baby is put in the little ark, the little basket, and it just goes along with the Nile River. Now you have to, you have to know that Goshen, that Pharaoh's household, Pharaoh's house would not have been located very close to, Egypt, to slave quarters, I don't think. But God has his hand. You see the main character here is God. He, he is all the way through the Bible. And the main character is God, and the main thing on God's heart is you and me in Christ because Moses is a very significant character in the, in the divine economy of God uh, because we know that these people, they may not think on it that much. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight as to as to how they worshipped or so, so forth, other than they were, they were cognizant of the, the God of Abraham. I don't know how much they focused on that promise of the seed of woman, but God was totally focused on it, to bring a Savior into the world so that God's own could be redeemed. Now, here's another little, at this point in time, anonymous person, a little girl. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. So the Nile River is flowing along. And the little girl surely must have secretly as she could followed along on the banks of the river to watch the thing flow, flow by. Now God is controlling the flow of the Nile River. God is in control of, of the household and the personal lives of this man and this woman because at the appointed time she conceives, at the appointed time she gives birth, at the appointed time on God's divine calendar, they wouldn't have known this, she was so moved, the child by the, by the power of God had such a radiance and beauty, she just was greatly compelled to do all that she could do, to hide the baby and then 
to deliver the baby the best way she could. She put it in the water. So here's this little girl. Nobody knows, right now at least, nobody knows her name, standing afar off to know what's going to happen to him. So God's hand now is guiding the little life of this little girl, who later we learn is Miriam. Okay, so let's look at the next portion here of Scripture. The daughter of Pharaoh. She's unnamed. I mean, she's not really the main player here. She's, she is a tool in the hand of God. God is directing everything about this. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile. All right? The water is moving at a certain speed. At a certain time of day, the mother of Moses was moved to put him. It took a little while to make the little basket. Timing was perfect, though. God's timing is always perfect. So it took her a little time to make that thing, and there's just then she put him in the basket, sets it afloat, and it's going along at whatever speed the Nile was moving along. So here comes the little basket, and yonder is the little girl doing her best to keep up. Just then, the daughter of Pharaoh decides that it's time to take a bath. Just then. If it had been five minutes later, the basket would be headed toward a crocodile or something. If it had been earlier, she'd have gotten through, gone in, and then the basket would have... It was just then. Just then, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, and her maidens walked along the side of the Nile. So, this would have been a spectacle easy, easily seen by this little girl even from a distance. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she goes just to the place. This is where she's going to take her bath, just there, and caught in just as God would have it, caught in those reeds, not the ones up the river a little bit, not the ones on the other side of it, just those, just there where she bathes. She saw the ark among the reeds, and she sent her maidservant then to retrieve it. When she opened it, then she saw the child, and behold, the little boy wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the male children of the Hebrews. Now think about this. Probably every other woman of, of Egypt would have said, that's a nasty old Hebrew boy. Take it to a soldier or they're supposed to die. But the beautiful little baby just then cried. <laughs> now, you know, most daddies would say, shut up. <laughs> but what does a mama do? What does, you know, oh... Oh, baby, no. Yeah. Right? I can see it now. That's the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. So here is a tender-hearted woman 
who happens to be the daughter of Pharaoh, who happens to be taking a bath just then to find a basket which just happened to get tangled in those reeds which followed along the speed of the Nile, backing the situation up, going back in time. The mother puts it in just then, and these things come together just at the right time, and then playing on the heartstrings of a, of a compassionate, tender-hearted woman, when she opens the basket, he cries. Just then. She had compassion on him. I don't know that any other woman in Egypt would have had that kind of heart. I don't, I don't know. She's unnamed here. But God is using her and will use the whole household of Pharaoh to educate Moses and prepare him for the great work that he's going to have to do. You know... Now, this is in Josephus. This is not in the Bible, but I will relate it to you and take it for what it's worth. I think he's probably a fairly reliable uh, historian. Later on in, in the scriptures, Miriam doesn't like Moses' Ethiopian wife. Josephus tells the story of how he, had, how he came about having the Ethiopian wife. Moses rose, according to Josephus, to be the commander-in-chief of all of Pharaoh's armies, a great warrior. The Egyptians marched in a huge square, just like the Israelites marched when they went out of Egypt. You remember, Judah was in front, and then there were three tribes, three tribes, three, and the tabernacle was in the middle. You remember that? That's, he learned that. He learned, he learned the importance of logistics and supply lines and how to march and how to survive. So they've marched into Ethiopia because Ethiopian was a great civilization in those days, and, and they were disturbing the trade routes from Egypt to other. In other words, they were upsetting the Egyptian economy. Now, the capital city was surrounded by a swamp that they had purposely filled with little asps, little, the most poisonous snakes in the world. So you couldn't, you couldn't just walk through there. Back, you know, back in the, you, you, how, how are your soldiers going to get into this city? While they were sitting out there just on the other side of the swamp trying to figure it out because Moses was under, under orders to conquer Ethiopia. They happened to see a young woman come out, gather some things, and walk back through the swamp. And she had done this more than once, and so Moses said, I want you to catch that girl the next time, capture her and bring her to me. It's an Ethiopian girl, young woman. So they captured and brought her to Moses, and Moses said, I want to know how it is that you can walk through this thing and not get bit to death by snakes. She said, well, 
we keep a certain pathway clear. And those of us in the city know where to go. He said, well, how do you clear the pathway? She said, there is a certain bird, a stork, and it eats these snakes. That's how it lives. So Moses says, you know, so you, what you're telling me is if I get enough of these storks and put them all over the place here, they'll eat up those snakes and we can just march right into the city. She said, that's exactly right. But before she told him all of that, she said, I'll make a deal with you. She had heard of the great Moses in Egypt. She said, I'll tell you the secret if you'll marry me and take me back to Egypt with you. Thus, according to Josephus, he had the Ethiopian wife. Now, Moses learns all of these things because of the household where he grew up. It all begins with this meeting that a lot of people would think is happenstance. There's, there are no chance meetings, especially in the lives of the people of God. All right, so she says, this is one of the male children of the Hebrews. Obviously, the skin tone was different from, from Hebrews to Egyptians, but also probably whatever he was wrapped in was, was of Hebrew origin. Now, just then, his sister shows up. Here is a compassionate... You know how some women cry when they see a baby cry? Some women cry when they see anybody cry. They will cry when people are fake crying in the movies. <laughs> and you say, wait, what are you doing? And I say, you know... Think of it. They're surrounded by microphones and lights and people watching them and telling them what to do. Now, you know, this ain't no little unique setting here. But women are that way, some especially, right? So here's this woman. She was the creator of Hallmark movies, I'll bet you. <laughs> just then, just then, this little girl. Now, think about this also. She's young enough not to have created um, uh, an interest such that she would not have considered to have been old enough to work yet. Otherwise, the question would have been, why aren't you in the brickyard? She wasn't that old yet. Just happens to be the right age so that she doesn't cause any attention toward herself, people knowing that you know, Hebrew kids probably ran around, whatever. And she wouldn't have drawn attention to herself since she wouldn't have been old enough to work in the brickyard. Just at the right age, going back before Moses was born, separated her birth, separated just in the right time frame so that she could be, she was old enough to be able to navigate herself down the side of the Nile River, but not old enough to have been expected to go to work. So she says to the daughter of Pharaoh, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from among the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And the daughter of Pharaoh said, Go. So the maiden went and called the mother of the child, and the daughter of Pharaoh said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So she gets to raise her own baby, 
This is, of course, Moses' mother. She gets to nurse her own child, be a wet nurse, a nursemaid. She gets to nurse her own child, lay him close to her bosom and do, do what, you know, this mother's love. And she, in those days, in that culture, they would have nursed a child to the age of three or four years old. So she got to spend at least that time with this baby. But she's a hireling, and the baby officially belongs to Pharaoh's daughter. So that brings us to the last thing here. And the child grew, and she brought him to the daughter of Pharaoh, and he became her son. It would have broken her heart, but she did a great thing for God. She couldn't have known it at the time. She didn't realize, really. Isn't that great? You can be doing something great for God and not even know it. Just trust God and defy the king if you have to, if he goes against God. So she called his name Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Moses says it means to draw out or to bring forth. And I've told you this before, I think, but Ramses, Ramses. See, the last part of his name is Moses. Ra, it means to be the son who was drawn out of the sun god. Uh, that's how he gets his name. So Moses is, uh, is given this name by the daughter of Pharaoh. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. There's the, I mean, I don't know. All of the stories in Scripture are just profound. That God works in the most meticulous ways. His timing is perfect. His purpose is perfect. His purpose cannot be stopped. Nobody knows this at this point in time, but we all know what Moses is going to do. Probably, well, it doesn't, of course, match the passion of the Christ and death on the cross, but as far as being called and commissioned to a work, two and a half to three million unhappy church members. Good grief. But God approves the work of Moses. You know, he splits the ground and swallows some of them up and he parts the sea and all these other things. Becomes one of the greatest leaders in the Bible because of what he, what he had to do Take these, to lead these people out of Egypt and get them to the brink of the promised land. What he, what he had to do. And all of this... Seemingly, I read all of that stuff about the history of the world at that point in time. Doesn't mean a thing to God. This, this is what means something to the purpose of God right here. Unnamed at this point, uh, seemingly insignificant people, slaves, the, the lowest of the low, put out there intentionally, being destroyed as a culture by the destruction of their male children, um, 
Nobody thinks anything of them. Pharaoh's going to see to it that as a people, they're going to be wiped out, you know. Um, genocide. But not God. He has a plan. And his plan keeps going. We're going to pick it up there next time, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at your great power and the divine sovereign rule that is yours in the affairs of men. Thank you, Lord, for the great attention that you gave to your people. Even in the worst of times, that in the due course of time, Christ came died on the cross for us and was raised up for our justification. Help us to understand that even in the events that are going on today, the world is just being prepared for Christ's coming again. In this we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.